This new series that we're starting is going to take us up to the retreat. Um, It's a five-week series, um, six different parables that Jesus talks about addressing the topic of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus, he here in Matthew chapter 13, he teaches six parables in Matthew that pertain to the kingdom of heaven. And each of those six parables begins with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. So he uses six parables and he begins each of those parables using that phrase. Now, for you English majors, when trying to make a comparison using the words like or as, what is that called? A simile. You are a smart bunch. I love you guys. You are awesome. All English majors. Report card A plus from Pastor Austin. So Jesus, he uses similes um, to describe the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like. And he uses parables. Now, what is a parable? Well, a parable in the Greek, it's the word parabolo, and it literally means to come alongside or to throw something alongside. So what does that mean? Well, Jesus, he's using six parables to come alongside an illustration to drive home a moral truth. So that's what he's doing here. The kingdom of heaven is like, and then he compares, he uses a parable to compare the kingdom of heaven to, to something. And he, he does this, uh, to, he uses parables often throughout his ministry to um, to come alongside an illustration that then teaches a, a moral lesson or drives home some kind of major point. And so he uses six parables here to describe the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does he mean by the kingdom of heaven? We're not going to necessarily learn about the physical place of heaven, describing what heaven looks like. Now, the Bible does do that, but here in Matthew chapter 13, that's not Jesus' main MO here. He doesn't attempt to necessarily describe what does heaven look like as much as he attempts to describe the concept of what is the kingdom of heaven all about. That's what he does here in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew's gospel uses the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, more than 30 times. The other Gospels don't use the phrase kingdom of heaven, but rather they use the phrase the kingdom of God. Both are the same thing. Both are communicating the same message here. Both express the idea of rulership, a kingdom ruled by God. Now, what is the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is both something physical Because heaven is a real, physical place. But the kingdom of heaven is also spiritual. Meaning that God's rulership doesn't only exist in a physical place, but God's rulership was meant to exist in a person. And that's us. So in that sense, God's kingdom is spiritual. Because The Bible is a story about two different kingdoms. You have the kingdom of darkness, and you have the kingdom of light. And all who surrender their lives to Jesus Christ 
are now a part of the kingdom of light where, yes, when you pass from this earth, you go and live in a physical place called heaven, but even more than that, God's very spirit dwells in you. So it's a spiritual form of rulership here. Listen, there is someone ruling your life tonight. There's someone ruling your life tonight. Someone is king of your life. It's either God or it's you. Someone's king. And I have, in my life, I've played both sides. And many of you in the room, you've played both sides. Austin has been king of my life. What do I mean by that? Austin decides what I do, where I go, how I behave. You're the king of your life, if that's you. You decide what you do. You decide how you speak. You decide... um, what you think about the world, you decide what you do with your life and where you go and how you act and how you behave. You're your own standard. You're the king of your life. And I have found in my life that it goes so much better when I sit off the own throne of my heart and I give God that authority. God, no longer do I want to operate based on my own standards. No longer do I want to go where I decide or say what I choose to say or think how I choose to think or act, but God, I'm giving you that authority. That's what it means to surrender your life to Jesus. We use a lot of Christian words like surrender your life to Christ and submit to God, but it, it really has the, the, this picture of I'm, I'm giving the authority of my life to, to a, a higher authority, to a higher standard, and, and that's the rulership of God. And the Bible says when you make that choice, that decision, to no longer rule your own life, but to give God the reins and to allow God to sit on the throne of your heart, using figurative spiritual language, then God's your king, and you're a part of the kingdom of light. So the kingdom of heaven, when Jesus describes here in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven, it's, it's the, I, the idea of this concept that, yes, we're, we're talking about real, a real physical place, but we're also talking about a spiritual rulership in each of our lives. This is the kingdom of heaven. And he invites all to enjoy citizenship of this kingdom, but the only ones who can claim citizenship are those who have submitted to King Jesus. So, Jesus here, he's, he's going to use six parables to describe what the kingdom of heaven is like. And um, if I could get that first um, slide up. So we're in here, Matthew chapter 13, if you're not there in your Bibles. These are the six different parables that Jesus uses. So we're going to hit these parables in a span of five weeks because we're going to pair two of them together. So for tonight, the very first parable describing the kingdom of heaven, we're going to look at this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sows good seed. So the kingdom of heaven is like, number one, a man who sowed good seed. That's the very first parable we're going to look at tonight. Next week, he says that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Now, these are all super weird, super interesting. The kingdom of heaven is like a, a man who sowed good seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. What, is, what does this mean? The kingdom of heaven is like leaven? I don't even know what leaven is. Well, I do now because I, I read my Bible. But the kingdom of heaven is like hidden treasure. We're going to pair these two, number four and five, because they're essentially saying the same thing, and they're only one verse each. The kingdom of heaven is like hidden treasure in verse 44. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking pearls in verse 45. And then he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet, the New King James Version. Your translation might say, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net. 
That's the last parable we're going to look at in week five. So for tonight, we're in Matthew chapter 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sows good seed. Let's check out verse 24 together. So this is what it says in verse 24. It says, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men, so, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares. Your translation might say weeds. So an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop... Then the tares, or the weeds, also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Let's pray. God, before we go any further, we just commit our Bible study to you now. Just pray that you would do a great work in our midst tonight, in our hearts, Lord, as we learn more about the kingdom of heaven. We love you. We love your word. And we devote our time to studying it together now. So speak to us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. So our very first parable here. Jesus uses a very agricultural parable pulling from modern day society because they lived in a very agricultural society to drive home his point here. And it's interesting, Jesus is actually going to explain what this parable means in verses 37 to 43, which is actually rare. Most of the time in Jesus' ministry, when he used a parable, he never bothered to explain it. It was kind of this veiled reference. And he, he ended a lot of his parables with, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Basically meaning, he who has an open heart to hear from the Lord, God will give understanding. So he, he usually doesn't explain most of his parables, but, but he, he is going to explain what this parable means, which is super easy on us. So let's look at the explanation. What is, what is he talking about here? Talking about this field and someone sowing good seed, an enemy comes and takes up the seed. Well, he explains it here. Check out verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away. Okay, so he was, he was explaining those parables to, to a great crowd, but then he sends the multitude away in verse 36, and he went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Now, I find that super funny because the disciples, let's just say, they're not the sharpest knives in the drawer, Okay. And, and I, this is kind of how I picture it, it going down. So, so the disciples are with Jesus in, in, in his ministry, and Jesus is he's, he's teaching all of these parables, okay? And the disciples, what I picture the disciples doing, they're kind of crossing their arms like, yeah, yeah, we get this, yeah. And they, 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 they pretend to understand what Jesus is talking about in front of all these people. Yeah, Jesus, yeah, the parable, the, the, the sowers, the seeds, yeah, we get it. You guys don't get this? We get it, we get it. 
And then, then the, the crowd goes away, the disciples and Jesus go into this room, and then the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, can you, what, what, what in the world were you talking about out there? You guys ever do that, like at work? I, I do that. I work. So I, I work here. So, so my dad, Pastor Gary, he'll say something in front of like the, the staff, and I'll be like, yeah, dad, Pastor Gary, yeah, we get this, right? And then I'll go aside with like my, my team, and I'll be like, what in the world is my dad talking about? You guys do that at work. I know you do. Like your boss, you'll be in like a group meeting where your boss is giving this, hey, he's giving, he's laying out the standards, the goals, he's giving this presentation. You're like, yeah, I get it, boss. And he's like, any questions? Everyone's like silent. No questions. And then you guys go and break up into your separate teams, right? You're like, did anybody understand that? No. No. And then you talk about it. You're like, oh, okay, I'm putting the pieces together. Okay, this is what his disciples were doing. So, so Jesus is talking about this parable. The disciples are like, yeah, we get this, boss. Boss Jesus, we get this. And then they go into their separate room with Jesus. Hey, Jesus, can you elaborate? We, we, what in the world were you talking about? So Jesus then, he explains here in verse 37, and he's gracious with them. He doesn't chew them out. Sometimes Jesus did chew out his disciples. He called them dull and other names. So, but verse 37, he's gracious. He, he answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. Okay, the son of man is a reference to Jesus himself. He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. So this is what Jesus goes. He he basically describes what each uh, topic um, correlates with who. So he says, the man who sows good seed, he says, that's me. He says, the field is the world. He says, the good seed, that equates to believers, sons of the kingdom, he says. He says, the weeds, or the tares, those are the unbelievers. He says, the enemy sower, that's the devil, that's Satan. He says, the harvest, that's the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. And then later in that parable, he describes the furnace of fire, and that is a depiction of hell. So he lays out all the characters here, and then he says in verse 40, Therefore, as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear." So basically, Jesus, he uses this agricultural illustration to say this. There are two farmers. One is Jesus, one is the devil. One farmer, being the son of man, being Jesus, is going to go out and sow good seed. This good seed will be wheat. These are the believers. Satan, on the other other hand, opposes the work of Jesus. Satan will also go and plant seed, but the seed will produce weeds. These are the unbelievers. At the end of the age, meaning the end of time, whenever Jesus decides that time has come, Jesus will dispatch his angels, will send his angels out to separate the unbelievers from the believers. He says he will bind up They will bind up the unbelievers, the weeds, where they will then be sent to eternal judgment called hell, where he says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus says the believers 
separate from the unbelievers, the believers will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Where he says in verse 43, the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So what do we learn from Jesus' illustration regarding the kingdom of heaven? A few things. Very first thing, point number one, Satan is a real person. Satan is a real person. Just as God is saving and using believers, the good seed, the wheat, so Satan will plant unbelievers, the weeds, and use them as his instruments to oppose the work of God. This is what Jesus is communicating here. And I know that point number one might seem like a basic trivial point, but many people in the Christian circle actually don't believe to be actually don't believe Satan to be a real being. I was reading a a Barna Research survey. A few years ago, the Barna Research Group, which puts out a lot of surveys, they do a lot of research and studies, particularly with the Christian community, they put out this survey where they concluded that four out of every ten professing Christians don't believe Satan to be a real person, but merely a symbol of evil. Forty percent of professing Christians. There are people that might profess to be Christians, maybe you're here in the room tonight, who don't actually view Satan as a real being. Jesus here, he communicates that there is a real enemy, not just a symbol of evil or this mystical force, but there, that there is a real enemy that opposes you. But here's the very interesting thing about Satan and his work is that Satan attempts to oppose the work of God by using several different methods. We're going to get to that in just a moment. In this parable, God plants wheat. Satan plants weeds. One of the primary ways that Satan attempts to oppose the work of God is not actually by cutting down the work of God. Satan knows that he can't cut down or destroy the work of God, but Satan attempts to oppose the work of God using counterfeit measures. Satan can't cut down, but Satan can counterfeit. That's what he attempts to do, and that's what Jesus says here. Jesus plants seed that grows to be wheat And then he says in this parable that the enemy, the devil, plants seed that grows up to be weeds. And there is actually a a weed in Israel that's common in Israel that most Bible scholars believe Jesus is referring to here uh, called darnel grass. And I'll put up a picture here on the screen. You, You can barely tell the difference between the two. One is darnel grass, one is actual wheat. I just want to take a quick survey. Do you think that darnel grass is on the left or on the right? Where are my farmers in here? Where, where's my Percival Round Hill West Virginians? Okay, the Darnell grass is on the right. I'm kidding. It's on the left. So, <laughs> deceived you. Just kidding. Okay, so Darnell grass is on the left. Wheat is on the right. But the very interesting thing about Darnell grass is at the germination period, when it's initially growing, it is almost impossible to tell the difference. It is only when they are mature where you actually can tell that there is a difference between 
both of these, the, the, the weed from the wheat. And Satan, what he attempts to do is he attempts to oppose the work of God by playing counterfeit. He knows he can't cut down the wheat. That's a work of God. Satan can't destroy what God is doing, but Satan can counterfeit. And that's what he does. That's what he does in our lives. That's what he does in our culture. That's what he does in our society. And it's the game that he's been playing for years. Satan loves to counterfeit. Example number one, with sex. Satan loves to counterfeit God's initial design and intention for sex. God designed sex to be experienced between a man and a woman in marriage. Satan comes along and he creates pornography and he says that pornography, it's not the actual replacement for sex, but at least it can counterfeit because he deceives the masses by saying, this is a measure of satisfaction and fulfillment that you experience for a short time until you realize that it leaves you only dry and empty and void of actual love. But porn is the counterfeit for God's intention for sex. Another example, God knows the future. God holds the future in his hands. Satan knows this. But he takes advantage of our impatience because when we grow impatient, wanting to know the future, many people run to palm readers, fortune tellers, because they are itching to understand what is my destiny. That's a, that's a decision only determined by God. But people go to other people and counterfeit measures, palm reading and tarot cards and all this stuff, something that is designed by Satan to make you feel like you have a measure of peace understanding your destiny. It's counterfeit. It's counterfeit. Another example, Satan provides quick peace through a quick fix, a quick hit, a quick shot. You notice a lot of uh, stores that sell alcohol and all this stuff, they're, they're called like wine and spirits. It's counterfeit. We run to those things because we want peace and we want relief. It's counterfeit to God's initial design, which was you can experience a high you've never experienced by being filled with the Holy Spirit, not wine and spirits, the Holy Spirit. Peter says, do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. But Satan provides these counterfeit forms of substance. You want relief? You want peace? You want a measure of satisfaction? You want to feel happy? Run to these things. And he knows it's counterfeit, but if he can suck us in, he can pull us in, he can keep us there. And God says, I have something so much better for you where God creates Satan counterfeits and God created you to be indwelt by his Holy Spirit so you can experience joy and peace and satisfaction and love and fulfillment. Void of all those substances, you can experience his Holy Spirit dwelling within you. So God creates Satan counterfeits. God creates all of these beautiful things that Satan attempts to counterfeit. And he did this in the Old Testament. Remember, Exodus chapter 7 and 8. God gave Moses the ability to perform miracles to the Pharaoh to confirm his message. Moses goes to Pharaoh to free his Hebrew Israelites, to free his fellow Hebrews. They're they're enslaved in Egypt under the Pharaoh there for 400 years. God sends Moses back. He says, I want you to free your people. 
And, and God gives Moses supernatural ability to perform these signs to confirm the message that this is, in fact, from God. So Moses goes to the Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 7 and 8, and the very first miracle that Moses performs, Moses puts his staff down, and God turns his staff into a snake. What then, though, happens? Pharaoh brings out his magicians, and his magicians are able to perform the same miracles. They duplicate Second miracle, Moses goes to the Pharaoh and he says, you better let my people go or this is what will happen. And he turns their water into blood. Pharaoh brings his magicians. The magicians do the very same thing. Satan loves to counterfeit what God creates. Another thing, frogs. Moses goes and he says, there's going to be a plague of frogs. Moses then brings frogs by the power of God. The magicians are able to duplicate that. But Satan has his limits because the magicians realized they couldn't duplicate everything Moses was doing, and the magicians realized this is the finger of God. We can't do this. So Satan does have his limits. He, Satan, Satan uh, he's not all-powerful like God is. But when God creates, Satan loves to counterfeit. And, and he does this in our lives. He does this with things. He, 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 he puts things in front of us saying, you can feel happy and at peace and joy and feel relaxed and all this stuff. He throws it in our face. It's all counterfeit, but we buy it. So if, if Satan were just merely a symbol, think we'd buy all this stuff? Satan's a real person. And Jesus describes this. He says, there is a real enemy. And we have to be cautious of this, guys, that Satan's a real person. We will be susceptible to falling to Satan's schemes if we first don't recognize that Satan's a real being. And that's the very first thing. Satan's real. I'm not going to underestimate this powerful opposition that's trying to counterfeit what God creates. That's the very first point we learn from this parable about the kingdom. Because the Bible is a story about two kingdoms. God's kingdom and Satan's puny little kingdom where he attempts to buy us and persuade us to belong to his rulership. And the funny thing is, is we think we have more freedom when we don't do it God's way. Oh, church has all these rules and all these regulations and God just has all these laws. So we oppose the law and the word of God because we think we have more freedom, but we're playing into Satan's game because now we're under the rulership of Satan and enslaved to sin. So you're, you're going to be under someone's rulership here. There is no freedom on the other side. But we buy it. So Satan is a real being, number one. And number two, about this kingdom concept, hell is a real place. And I won't spend too much time on point number two, but, but the Bible describes here in, in this parable in verse 30, Jesus says, let both grow together, both, both the weeds and the wheat, let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the weeds and bind them in bundles to burn them. And then he says in verse 42, that when the angels come and they bind the weeds, verse 42 says, and will cast them into the furnace of fire and there will be weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. That's not the only place Jesus describes hell in that manner. That hell is a real place where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's a place of torment. It's a place of judgment. Judgment is a reality, guys. Judgment's a reality. That's what Jesus is communicating here. That judgment is real, that hell is a real place. There are a lot of trendy books, a lot of trendy authors who just throw hell off to the side. 
Hell isn't a real place. God isn't the kind of God to send people to hell. Listen, God is holy. God is just. He's a just judge, and he has to punish evil. The people who complain, where is God? There's all this evil in the world. Well, then when God says, I will punish all that evil, they're like, God can never do that. It's like, no, you want a just God. You want a just, holy, righteous God to punish sin and to punish evil. And we can escape that wrath. We can escape that judgment by surrendering to Jesus Christ. That's, that's called grace. That's called the gospel. But Jesus says there, there is a real place called hell. And then therefore that leads us to point number three. Because Satan's a real being, because Satan, uh, because hell is a real place, number three, Jesus' message here is therefore stay strong and faithful. I want you to check out verse 30 with me again. So he says in verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. Let both grow together. So he's talking about the weeds, the unbelievers, and the wheat, the believers. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at that time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So listen, what Jesus is saying here is this. The angels actually ask God, here in the parable we just read, when they begin to detect the difference, that there is a difference here, they actually ask God, should we go and separate them now? And God actually tells the angels, no, let both of them grow together. At the end of the age, we'll separate them. In this lifetime, we as believers are going to be growing up with unbelievers. And a lot of the time, because we're both in the world and we're both living life together, believers and unbelievers, in the same work environment, in the same family and households at times, um, because we're growing together and we're doing life together, sometimes it seems like the unbelievers are getting off and, and getting away with things, right? So we're in school, believers, unbelievers alike, we're at work, believers and unbelievers alike, and we don't always understand how are they getting away with some of this stuff? And what happens when we fall into that mindset, when we kind of think, you know, listen, life isn't fair. Unbelievers, they're, they're doing all this stuff, looks like they're having a fun time, going to all these parties, doing all this stuff, maybe feel a little bit left out because, listen, as believers, we should be and look different than the rest of the world. So following Jesus means I'm not going to participate and do all of the things that my unbelieving friends do. But sometimes that can make us feel left out and isolated. And what happens is because we don't like that feeling of isolation at school or we don't like that feeling of isolation at work, we, we tend to want to just blend in with our unbelieving friends because we notice they're having, they're having fun and they're getting away with it. Like, they're, they're, there's no immediate consequences by God. There, there's no immediate judgment. There's no immediate punishment. And it looks like the unbelievers are having all the fun and they're just doing all this stuff and there's no immediate consequences. And when we don't see immediate consequences, we start to play the game and look just like them. 
because we just want to fit in and blend in and we don't see immediate consequences. So we just feel like, okay, I can get away with this too. And we start to look and behave just like the rest of the world. And I've done that. I'm not saying, to, saying this to, to um, throw out judgment. I've played both sides. I've wanted to fit in. I've wanted to look like the world. So I've compromised on standards. Because we don't see that there's any immediate consequences And so we just want to fit in, we want to blend in. And and Jesus here, he's basically saying, listen, the weeds and the wheat, they will grow up together and you can't always tell them apart because we're all doing life together. But there is a day of judgment. There is a day where Jesus will dispatch his angels to separate the weeds and the wheat. So don't lose heart, stay faithful, keep persevering. Don't play the game of just looking like the unbelievers. I want you to keep your eyes fixed and focused on the eternal goal, that there will come a day of judgment. It's hard for us to see that now because we're young and we, don't, we, we see our lives ahead of us. We don't see the end coming, but Jesus says there is an end. There is an end to all this. There is judgment. Right now, we're all just growing up together, the weeds and the wheat, and sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between the two. Because we're doing life together, we're working together, all of this stuff. But there is a day of judgment. I love the verse in 2 Peter. 2 Peter says that God is faithful to his promises. He says that Jesus is not slow in keeping his promises. And we love that verse because it's a very encouraging verse. It's that kind of uh, coffee mug verse. Jesus is uh, not slow in keeping his promises. So we, we kind of quote that verse like when we're single, we want to be in a relationship. Jesus, you're not slow in keeping your promises. You will bring me a boyfriend. You will bring me a girlfriend. And so we quote this verse, very encouraging verse, all this stuff. And it, and it is. And Jesus isn't slow in keeping his promises. He's faithful to his promises. But Peter actually uses that verse in the context of judgment. He, he says that in the end times, there will be mockers and scoffers that say, when is Jesus returning again? Jesus isn't coming back. And Peter says, oh yeah, hey, remember the flood? Remember when God sent the flood on the world? There will be another time where God judges the world, but not by water, but by fire. God is not slow in keeping his promises. God promises to judge the world because he's righteous and holy, and he's not slow in keeping his promises. And the only reason he is slow is because he's patient in wanting all people to come to repentance and believe in Jesus. But when he promises judgment, judgment's coming. And so it's hard for us to see in our kind of through our young lenses, that there is judgment to all of this and that our behavior matters on earth. We start to blend in with the weeds because we just want to have fun. There's no immediate consequences, so we play the game of the world. But Jesus says, listen, I'm letting the weeds and the wheat grow up together for a time, but harvest time is coming. Judgment's a reality. And it should awaken our spirits not to be scared of judgment, but rather prepared. Peter says that in 2 Peter chapter 3, not to scare believers, but to prepare believers. Jesus speaks his parable in Matthew chapter 13, not to scare believers, but to prepare believers, to refine us unto holy living, so that we don't just live these lives doing whatever we want, but so that we live these lives under the authority of King Jesus, because we belong to his kingdom, understanding that Satan's real, that hell is real, that judgment's a reality, and so it's an encouragement for us. Not to scare us, but to prepare our hearts to live for the Lord while we're here in the world. It's hard to see now. Life goes by that. Life goes by just like that. Paul calls our life 
a vapor, a mist. Many of you know people who you've been friends with. Life went like that. You know, I'm, um, my wife's grandma, she's, she's been in the hospital. Um, her life is deteriorating. She's not all mentally there. Physically, she's weak. So her time might be coming. You know, it just seems like yesterday where, you know, I've known Morgan's grandma since I was like a kid, since I was like four years old. She's been coming to this church for forever. It feels just like that when I was in her Sunday school class. And I, I, even before I married her granddaughter, I always called her grandma. She's always seemed like grandma to me. And, and now 20 years later, and so it, it's, I say all that just to say, listen, life's short. Um, we don't always know how, how long we have. And, and so Jesus' encouragement to us is to understand that um, there is a real opposition. His name is Satan. And so we need to put on the full armor of God and be prepared. Um, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Greater is he that is within us than he that is in the world. Hell is a real place. It's not just this fairy tale land because there, there's a, a real judgment coming for those who don't surrender to King Jesus. So for those who don't believe in Jesus, you're here tonight. Get right with God tonight. Give your life to Jesus. Say, God, I'm done ruling my own life. I want you, King Jesus, to rule my life and be my authority. And when you make that decision, welcome to the kingdom of heaven. For those who are already believers, the encouragement is, listen, stay faithful, persevere. Time is short. So while you're here on on this earth, live for the Lord. Don't just blend in with the crowd and culture and go along with it. Because judgment is coming. So, So... Talk about Jesus with your unbelieving friends. Bring him into this kingdom of heaven. But stay faithful. Stay faithful now. Be strong. Persevere. I'll end on this. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. God, we thank you for our Bible study tonight, and I just pray that this message would continue to resonate in our hearts. It's easy just to get caught up in the distractions of life and the busyness of things. And the busyness of things might be great things. Work and career and relationships, all of those things, Lord, I, I pray that you bless and I pray that you would, um, that your favor would be on us and our work and our relationships. And at the same time, Lord, may we not be too consumed with this world because we don't belong to this kingdom, God. We, we belong to the kingdom of heaven as citizens of heaven because you're our king, Jesus. And so may we fix our eyes on you, like the writer of Hebrews says. May we not get so consumed with and distracted by just the busyness of this world, because this isn't our home. We're not citizens of this world. We're citizens of a greater kingdom. So as we go about this series, Lord, would you teach us new things, and would you remind us of old truths we've forgotten about? 
pray that you would keep us from the enemy, that you would guard and protect us, Lord, from Satan and his schemes. Pray that we would be a wonderful example to the unbelievers, Lord, of our lives, that we might, as citizens of heaven, properly reflect the kingdom where we belong. Move in our hearts, Lord. Move in our lives by your Holy Spirit, God. I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room, Lord. Move in their hearts. Move in their lives. Strengthen them. Build them up. Encourage them in their faith. Anyone who's distracted, discouraged, depressed, Lord, in the name of Jesus, build them up. Encourage them. Comfort them. Lift them up. Strengthen them, Lord. Anyone who's worried or anxious, replace their worry with your comfort. Replace their anxiety with your peace. Knowing that we don't belong to this world and these problems, but we belong to the kingdom of heaven where you're seated, Lord. Be our authority. Be our king. Be our ruler. Drive out of our hearts anything that dishonors you and displeases you, God. We could just sit here all night just talking to you, Lord, and asking you to soften our hearts that we might hear from you. So as we, as we just leave this room and as we exit this building tonight, may we not lose that fire and that zeal for you, Lord. Just continue to fan that into flame by your Holy Spirit, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.